Thank you for joining our podcast here at Peninsula Covenant Church. Stay tuned as together we will study God's Word. We're in the midst of a series called Faith That Works, and we're learning from the book of James how to make our faith really work in life. And then the intent there is to help others do the same. If we can really walk with Jesus, I believe we can really help others walk with Jesus. And so today, specifically, uh, we're going to be talking about the concept of temptation and using the name of Jesus uh, against that. And this comes as part of how the series kicked off. The series kicked off us talking about trials. And I'm not sure if you remember last week, but I had this short and sweet line for you about trials. You'll see it on the screen. It's trials, when it comes to trials, it's uh, not a matter of if, but when, right? And it's really uh, not about a few, but many, all right? So not if, but when, not a few, but many. And that's what trials are. That's the reality of trials. And we learned last week that trials involve testing. Trials involve us trusting God in the midst of those trials. And trials actually have a chance to lead us to triumph to really experience a blessing from God as he shapes us more and more into his likeness. I want to encourage you, if you hadn't heard that message, as you, if you're sitting here in week two have not heard week one, I want to encourage you to jump in on that and just review it online. I also want to bring up Jen Wong. Jen, would you join me up here in the corner of this podium? I didn't know you had such a fan club. So come right here. Come right here. Don't go far. You can't run from me. Uh, Jen came up to me at the end of the gathering last week and had some really specific things that God had touched her. And it's tied to how she reads the Word of God. It's tied to uh, just what's going on in her life. And so if you could share, Jen, I'd love to hear, what did God reveal to you, the Spirit of God, as we were talking through trials and what was going on in you and what God showed you? Um, Yeah, so I think I um, am a self-proclaimed word nerd. Um, I I, um, do a lot of writing in my professional life um, and in my personal life. And so one thing that I tend to do is um, during a sermon, I kind of wander a little bit and I look at um, specific words. Mm -hmm. And there was something that Brian shared last week. It was actually a quote from Francis Chan that talked about... um, trials and this process of um, being like smelting. Um, And so he brought that out and I got kind of curious about that in scripture. Um, Does God talk about smelting? Um, And so there is a repeated phrase in scripture that says, um, it refers to when the Israelites were brought out of Egypt and it says they were brought out from an iron smelting furnace. Um, and that is that is repeated in scripture. And many a, times, yes. many times, over and over and over again. Yeah. And so, as a writer, when I choose to um, repeat a word, um, we're taught as writers to not repeat words, use different words, use different sayings. But God, um, when He repeats, so when I, as a writer, repeat a word, it's very purposeful. And so it. I tend to say, pay attention to that sure. um, repetition. And so I thought, well, I wonder what the word root of furnace is, um, just out of curiosity. Um, and the English root of the word furnace um, figuratively means a flame of love, um, like a kiln. Um, and so I, I just was really 
taken aback by that yeah. because I thought um, coming through kind of a decade of um, trial, I think God, that makes me um, be seen by God, mm -hmm. that that, um, that is also his love for me. Yeah. yeah, it's beautiful. And that's what touched me when you shared that. She came up to me and she says, do you realize what you're talking about? It's this flame of love. And that's a whole different perspective on a furnace. It's a whole different perspective on a trial. When the heat's turned up or allowed to be turned up by God, that there's love in that. There's mm -hmm. truly love in that. Speak to a recent trial or past trial or multiple trials that you've mm -hmm. been through. And how have you seen those trials shape you in Christlikeness, specifically, you know, the fruit of the Spirit? How have you seen that played out? Yeah, so I think, um, you know, I, if you had asked me, like, okay, what, you know, a lot of times you think, oh, what are the ten, next 10 years going to bring? Um, and for me, the last 10 years have brought um, a lot of death in my family. Mm. And so, um, and in fact, I was reminded, Brian, of your words, um, my parents moved um, in with us about nine years ago when my mom was facing a very aggressive cancer. Mm -hmm. And um, they lived with us for several months and my mom actually died in our home. And Brian said to me at the time, he said, are you, Jen, are you okay with your mom dying in your home? And it really wasn't until nine years later that that question was actually very crucial in my life because I got to answer that question differently when I was doing the sacred work of caring for my dad when he died. Um, so six months after my mom died, my dad was diagnosed with cancer. And if I'm really honest with you, um, I would have chosen for my dad to go first. Um, it was a very, it was a very complicated, um, complex relationship. Sure. And while my mom's cancer lasted seven months, my dad's cancer lasted eight years. Mm. And so um, there was a lot of grief in that. There was a lot of loss. Um, and then I also just really honestly had the, this sacred work of death. I sat at my grandmother's um, you know, when she died, I sat at her bedside. Um, my grandmother and my aunt died the same day, five hours apart. Mm. Um, my dad died a week apart from my, my brother's mother-in-law. So there was this choice we had to make yeah. in death. Who, who will you um, be with mm. um, and watch someone die? And there's a really sacred, sacred work um, in that. And then I think, too, like the last... Um, you know, several years, um, I really have been reflecting on this um, idea of compound grief yeah. because there's been so much um, for all of us, um, pers you know, just individually and as a body that we have lost. Yeah. And um, I know that there's been such a, there's been, you know, differences we can look across and see so many differences among us. And that has caused a lot of strain or even in some cases loss of relationship. Okay. And so that grief upon grief, um, it, it does something, right? But I think for me, like one thing I reflected, I was at, you know, Marion's um, service on Friday and someone said it's, um, it's a joy um, to be here, and it was a, a joy. A lot of things that were said about Marion, I said about my mom. Yeah. And 
you know, when we sing, this is my story, sometimes we would not choose the story that God has us walking into. But you can, when you can look around and say, yes, this is my song, yeah. there's something really beautiful in that. And I could tell countless stories of the ways that God has shown up in that grief for me. Sure, sure. Um, and how would you say he's grown you in the yeah. fruit of the spirit? What have been some of the fruits that you go, it's been in this way? Yeah, I mean, I, I really think that, um, like, to the very core of my being, I can say that God is faithful, mm-hmm. um, but he has taught me um, patience mm-hmm. in, in knowing that it's, you know, what you said, it's not if, but it's when, yeah. and thinking, oh, okay, well, I won't walk through this again, but really the um, the deja vu factor of my parents' death. My dad also moved here to California for a clinical trial. He also lived with us. Um, my, you know, having these um, very, very similar, they had, you know, even the same doctors. Sure. It was a very deja vu kind of um, place. And it would not have been what I would have chosen. But God, I felt like I was I was just having to be very patient to know mm-hmm. that at the end I would be able to say, like, this is my song. Yeah. And to know that it does not end. The grief, the compound grief does not end. It just looks different, yeah. but still beautiful. I think the idea of the, the root of the word furnace being um, a kiln, yeah. um, which, you know, God has a lot to say about pottery in the Bible too. It's like when, when an artist puts something in, they don't know what that glaze is going to look like when it comes out. And if you had said, well, Jen, what would that have looked like 10 years later? I would not have been able to describe it. Um, but I know that God it's purposeful. And so to be patient in that purpose. It was interesting. Sometimes I think we also need another's perspective on what we've gone through. And when we were talking on the phone this week, the whole thing that was rising up in me is like, Jen, the fruit I see growing in you is faithfulness. Like you're still walking with the Lord through all this compounded grief. He's grown you in faith, you know. And, and she was picking other words, and I'm not trying to put those words upon her or in her, but I think we need each other to see that. She's seen patience. I'm seeing this faithfulness. Mm-hmm. Thank you for yeah. sharing. Can yeah. we clap for Jen? Yeah. Let me pray for you. Thank you. Thank you. I want to pray for Jen and for all of our compound grief. Lord, we acknowledge Jen represents many of us, trials upon trials, not if but when, not a few but many. Lord, thank you for how she has persevered with you, and you've matured her to make her more mature and complete and reflecting you in faithfulness and in patience. Lord, help us all walk in a similar way. It's in the name of Jesus we give you praise. Amen. Thank you, Jen. Open your Bibles to James chapter 1, verse 13. James chapter 1, verse 13. Somebody shout it out if you're opening up in the Pew Bible. It's way in the back of the New Testament. It's a couple of books before Revelation. 1217. 1217. James starts off and tells us. Consider pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith will produce a glorious reflection of me if you allow it. 
He then goes on to say in this next section, he brings up temptation. So there's trials and there's temptation. Are there temptation in trials? Yes. You know, and are trials part of temptation? Yes, but they should be broken out and looked at differently because they're two different things. They're two different aspects of walking with God. And here's our big idea for today, and I hope you hold it, and I hope you remember it because it's a really simple big idea. What, what God is wanting to give you, what God is wanting to give you is greater than what is tempting you. Are you hearing that? What God is wanting to actually give you, you're going to hear about how he gives good gifts today. What God is wanting to give you in the moment of your trial of temptation is always greater than what is tempting you. So it could be as simple today. Write this down if you need to. It's not in the message notes or anywhere else on the screen, but just write it down. God is greater than your temptation. All right, it's really that simple. All right, get the symbol out. God is greater than, the greater than symbol, than your temptation. That's the simple understanding of our big idea today. And there's three truths I want you to see in this text as we walk through it today. And you've heard it read and we'll go back through it. But here's the first truth. Temptation is not from God. This is huge because this is our perspective on God. If we understand God properly, temptation is, is not from God. Look what it says in verse 13. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he what? Tempt anyone. But notice, it takes us back to our statement from last week. There's the opening two words, when tempted, okay? So it's not if, but when. <laughs> it's not few, but many. We will be endlessly what? Tempted endlessly tempted. But we shouldn't say, hey, God, why are you tempting me? No, no, no. God does not tempt. God tests us and allows temptation. Do we agree with that? God tests us and he allows temptation. This is part of the, the gift of free will. We have a choice. We have a choice. And thank you, Lord, that we have a choice because we get to determine what we will pick and actually engage with him in that choice because that's what he wants. Think of this, Adam and Eve, Job, Jesus, and us. What do we all have in common? The common thing is we all deal with temptation. Remember Adam and Eve? All right. Remember Job? That one's interesting. Seems like God really allows that. He really allows that. All right. But it's the same as how he allows Jesus to be tempted in the desert. It's the same. God allows it, but God's not doing the actual tempting. If you go way back into the book of Deuteronomy, and you don't have to go there, but I'll just show you and read it to you. God has always been saying to his people, you have a choice between life and death. You have a choice between life and death. Hear what it says back in Deuteronomy 30, 19. In 30, 19, it says this, I've set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose what? Life, so that you and your children may live. Did you hear that? Even way back when, to all his people, God was endlessly say, saying this, I have a choice for you, and I want you to choose life, because if you don't choose this life that's best for you, there will be destruction and death. Again, hear these words. I've set before you life and death. This is Deuteronomy 30, 19 for your future reference. I've set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life 
so that you and your children may live. I believe there's five temptations that we endlessly have to deal with. These are large categories. I want you to take a picture of this screen. Get your phones out. Get this down. I want you to start to wrestle with, how am I tempted by these? And how and if these come to me, am I letting God in? Do you see the five on the screen today? Substances, sensuality, security, status, selfishness. These are five snares you can find endlessly through the Bible, and we endlessly are tempted with. Substances are obvious, aren't they? These are the pills, these are the alcohol, these are the gummies, these are the food, all right, that's swirling around us that we're just drawn to. It's interesting what it tells us in James is that you're going to see in a moment, we have these natural desires. I love the bark fins, that package you get from Costco, I can eat a whole bag of that if you let me after a while. I'm drawn to, there's something about the taste of it that I just like. I don't even know if you can call that evil, all right? It's just this desire I have. What is it for you? You have these natural desire for substances. The problem is often with substances, we find ourselves in a place where we use them to cope and we use them instead of going to God, correct? And then we have this natural desire for sensuality. We're, this is something that's natural. This is why there's more people, all right? This naturally is a desire, and more people happen. Like, God put it in us because he's like, I want more people. And it's not like, oh, I got it. All right, I will. All right. It's more like, yes, let's. And there's more people. Isn't that a nice, clean way to talk about this this morning? <laughs> you feel kind of safe in your sensuality right now. Because you don't want to hear about my sensuality personally, do you? All right. No. Thank you, John, for shaking your head. No. John's like, please not. No. And this is being recorded. And, but we have this natural desire for sensuality, but we can take it way too far. And we can use it to replace God in coping and feeling good. And then we know where that can lead us. And then we have this desire for security, to feel safe, to feel secure, I would say in the West, it's a lot about building our box and career. It's building our box and financially being established. But we can find too much security in that too. That's a temptation, isn't it? Too much security in anything. And then in status, do you like me? Am I good enough? Ooh. To its worst case, that can lead to suicide. Such a lie is that. And then how about just flat-out selfishness? I want it my way. You should think like with me, like I do. I will not forgive you because you've hurt me too much. Do you see the selfishness in all that? Do you see where that takes us? And look what it says now. Go to the next passage, James 14 and 15. James 1, 14 and 15. But each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desires conceive, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. We have natural desires, all right? We have to be careful what we do with them. God is warning us here. I want you to see the life cycle of sin so that you get a feel for what's going on in your life and how you can actually, actually do something with this. Take a picture of this. 
I need you to have a picture of this because you can now understand where am I in the life cycle of this sin? Where am I with this substance? Where am I with this sensuality? Where am I with this issue of security that's causing me to go after things I might not? Where am I with status and how I'm feeling about myself? Where am I with my selfishness? And when you look at this, let's take something as simple as anger. You hurt me and I get angry at you. And this desire begins to stir in me. And then here's what happens. It gets enticed, as the scripture says. And when you bring desire and enticement together, it's con- there's a conception that happens. And that conception, if left undealt with, leads to sin. And now it's the decision that I will treat you differently because I am angry at you. And you will get my wrath And now, over time, as that matures, and I do that more often and more often and more often, what does that lead to? That leads to detriment and then death. And that relationship's gone. In my family of origin, there's a challenge with addiction. And if I took you through my my family of origin, you would see on my mom's side and through cousins, including myself, how this has this desire this lure for alcohol, and then when it's been enticed and deception, that it's okay, I can go there. It's okay, I can go there. And then it leads to sin, and then it leads to this maturing where now it's part of a lifestyle, and it's totally got you wrapped around like a weed, and it le- it's led to death, literal death. I have a cousin who does not exist anymore because in her 50s, she passed away because of the sin cycle. Now, addiction is powerful, right? And it's a disease and it can overtake us. And just like anything that gets us, we need God and people to help us get free of it. But anger, substance, take this one. You go back years ago, I was caught up in my own security. I'm still caught up in my own security. And I was convinced if this pastoral gig doesn't work out, I need a backup plan. And so back in, the, back in the 90s, I was convinced I need to make sure I have a marriage family therapist degree along with my MDiv. And so I said to my wife, I'm thinking about this. And she said, no. And I was like, that's weird. Why would she say no? She was like, could you get out of school? I was like, okay, well, let me think about that. And we were starting to have kids. And then I went to my boss and I said, I'm thinking about going for this extra degree. And they said no. And I went to my boss's boss and that person said no. And I went to my best friend and he said to me, well, what'd your wife say? And what'd your boss say? And I said, they said no. (laughs) And so what did I do? I enrolled for the extra degree. (laughs) Because I had security issues. I took classes. And then we had a challenge in our life. Our daughter was born, she had a health issue, and it became obvious that trial I needed to get out and trust that God would provide. I don't have a marriage family therapist degree, and God has provided over those 20 years. But do you see where that was leading? I had, already, I had gotten to the decision of sin. It was maturing and starting to grow. Fortunately, it didn't cause as much death as it could have. We can call on the name of Jesus at any moment to get us out of this. We can call on a friend who knows Jesus to speak truth in our life to help us get out of this. We need both of those. But the name of Jesus and the perspective of Jesus can bring us to an understanding of where we are with sin and what we need to do with our sin and how we can stop and overcome our sin. These are strongholds in our life to get a hold of us, and they're like weeds that wrap around us, and they're powerful.
I'm hoping you're thinking of what's got you maybe now or beginning to get you or you're tempted by, because by the end of today, I want you to actually write a prayer about it. Look what it says in our final passage, slide 15, or slide 15, uh, verse 15 to 17. It's actually 16 to 18. It says, temptation can be overcome. So do you realize what it's saying? Temptation is not from God. Temptation can lead to death. Temptation can be overcome. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father, the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth. He chose to give us life through the word of truth. That word of truth is his word. That word is also, remember, this is James, the brother of Jesus. He knew that Jesus was called the what? The word. And so he's saying, you can have it through my brother. You can have it through what my brother has declared. You can have life. You can have a rebirth through the word of truth that we might become first fruits of all he created. He's using first century language here. Don't let it get you messed up here. He's saying to those Jewish people of the time, because he's speaking to his Jewish brethren, you can be the ones who are the first fruits. You can be the fresh offering that God has for you. God always referred to his people as an offering. He said in the Old Testament, make yourself an offering to God. And James is using Jewish language saying, make yourself an offering to God. What I'm saying to us today is, if we get serious about letting Jesus into our temptations, we can become the first fruits or the first generation that breaks generational sin like alcohol, generational anger, all right, generational porn addiction, generational security issues, generational greed. If we allow Jesus in, we become the first fruits of this next generation in our family's lives. Is that awesome? That's what God wants for us. He's always wanting life. Let's go back. Remember what he said to the Israelites in Deuteronomy? Choose life. This is what James, the good Jew who became a believer in Jesus, is saying to the same Jewish people years later, choose life. And here's where our hope lies in Jesus. Look at Hebrews 4, 15 to 16. It's up on the screen. For we don't have a high priest who is unable to empathize, who is, who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who's been tempted in every way. Jesus was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. And so what should we do? Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive and find grace to help us, what? In our time of need. Where are you in your time of need? Look what it then says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation is overtaking you except what is common, what? To all of us, mankind, humankind. But God is faithful, he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out. The number one way we don't find a way out when we're tempted is we isolate. We don't rely on God or rely on others. If we're tempted and we isolate, we're probably going to end up going down that road. But if we allow God in, claim the name and the name of Jesus, ask others for help, there's a way out. And then as a good Catholic young man, this line has so much meaning today in my life. Look in Matthew 5, 13. And lead us not into temptation, but Lord, deliver us from the evil one. This is the cry of our hearts. 
So as you go today, I want to question you and give you an opportunity. There's a white card in front of you right now in the pews. They're blank. Grab it. What temptation? Where are you with temptation? Which one has you? Write it down there. And then I want you to remember that what God wants to give you is greater than what is tempting you. So I want to ask you to consider to write a prayer right now about a specific temptation in your life on that white card. You're not handing this in. You're not going to hand it to anybody, okay? This isn't Temptation Sunday, okay? This is, let's get honest about where Jesus needs to come in to give us new life, to birth new life. So if you look at the prayer up on the screen, it may help. You may write your own prayer. Lord, I confess my desire to be caught up too much in the need for security or substance. Lord, deliver me from this evil desire. Replace it with the truth. And then look at this next line. Provide me with your power and your people so that I can have life. Marty's going to play a little band. He's going to come back up. This is your moment. We're going to sing about the name of Jesus at the end here. Where is God wanting you to call out for help. Lead us, Lord, not into temptation, but deliver us, Lord, from the evil one. This is your moment. Allow God to speak and guide you. Thank you for tuning in to our message podcast here at Peninsula Covenant Church. We would love the opportunity to connect with you more. We are located in Redwood City, California, and you can find us online at wearepcc.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by simply searching for We Are PCC.